got uh, 14 full pages of notes, and uh, I'm going to do my best to knock this out. Um, again, thank you guys for being here. Uh, I don't take it lightly that you guys choose to be here on a Sunday. Um, there's a lot of places you could be, but you've chosen here, and I do very, very, very much appreciate it. So last week we were talking about, and we were continuing in, the, in our study of the book of Joshua. We're going to be in the book of Joshua again for the next foreseeable future. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. Let's just put it that way. I don't know exactly how long it's going to be. But what we saw was we were, where we gathered where we were last time is we were really right after the fall of Jericho. What had happened up to this point was the Israelites had been really faithful in following God's command. He had told them what it was they were to do how they were to do it, and they had followed through. And what that did was God's hand was upon them, and because of God's hand being upon them, they faced off against the city of Jericho. Jericho came crashing to the ground. That pagan city was done. But what we saw was before we got to that point, God had warned the Israelites about touching the things that were not appropriate for them. The riches of the city were not to be touched by the people. They were supposed to keep their hands off of, off of the riches, because if they did touch them, they would be accursed. And God said not only would they be accursed, but also the people as a whole would be accursed. So this was their first big test of faithfulness. This is their first chance in the promised land to faithfully follow God all the way through. But what we found is the fact that they failed this test. And our message last week, which was in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, uh, that message is called Sin in the Camp. And what we found was there was a guy named Achan who just decided that he was going to do it his way. He decided, you know what, that stuff looks really good, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a little bit, little bit for me. And what we found was the fact that as he did this, this secret sin that no one knew about but Achan at this point and God, what it did was it actually transferred this accountability that he had. It transferred it on to the people. And what we looked at in last week's message was the revelation of sin, which is the fact that God sees everything. Right? There's nothing that we're going to do that God's not going to see. He sees all and he knows all. It's called omniscience. And what happens is here God's got this perspective on all things, so it doesn't make any sense to hide any things. And when we applied it to ourselves personally, we were like the, just really considering the futility of trying to hide sin, which brought us to the accountability of sin. Because the fact that God sees what we do and he holds us, he holds us accountable. And we saw here again that the Israelites individually they were all individually accountable. Achan was individually accountable, but as a whole, they were also accountable. And it was that shared accountability that we applied to the church, and we looked at the shared accountability that we have as a church. See, God took his hand off of them, and that Old Testament truth of the fact that God removed his hand because of sin in their lives, he will do the same thing today. And what we find is the fact that God's desire is that we would be faithful, that we would walk with him, that we would love him, that we would set his, his purposes above our own. And it's that selflessness that God seeks that so many times we struggle with. And the reason why God takes his hand off is because God will never bless and never, uh, will never uh, guide or, or, or be okay with unrighteousness. Never. He never has and he never, ever will. Unrighteousness, what does it do? It gains the, the anger of the Lord. We found this in, in, in uh, Joshua 7.1. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And this brought us to the consequences of sin. God's anger... So where he was blessing them and had his hand upon them and helping them to be fruitful and to do well, now he's shifted over to anger because of this disobedience. And we saw the consequences in the future would be that they're going to go and they're going to face a place called AI. And in AI, what's going to happen? They're going to be defeated. AI is not a great and dominant force. It's not a very big place. They should have easily taken it, but they will suffer a terrible defeat because of the aspect of the fact that God's taken his hand off of them. And we looked at the fact that as God has taken his hand out of the church so much across the country, the church used to be doing great things around the world. 
And we see it becoming very ineffective in our world today because guess why? People have allowed sin to creep its way into our church. And because of that, we've seen evil corrupt our nation. We've seen evil corrupt our culture. And what happens is not only is the church ineffective, but the church has been complicit in embracing sin, in making things that used to be wrong biblically, well, you know, the culturally they're accepted, so why can't we accept it as well? And it's that slippery slope that we start to concede that God loses, loses or takes away his power in our lives. And so many people today look at the church and we go, man, the church doesn't do anything. Listen, man, there are people in good churches all around this nation that are doing all that they can, that are trying to fight for the right and do... That sounded like I was going into a song. I'm not going into that song. <laughs> but the point is, what he's saying is like, look, you know what? God is trying to draw people to do the right thing. And there are people that have a heart to do the right thing. And guess what? There are Israelite men and women that are here that are desiring to do the right thing. But guess what it's going to do? It's not going to work out because of the sin that was in the camp. And what this does is it sets the stage for us to recognize that this hidden sin has impacted all of them. They're all under the reproach of God. But recognize that neither Joshua knows this. Achan at this point does not know that he's busted. And the people don't know. So what are they going to do? They're going to go ahead and make plans for the next conquest. They've got their eyes set on what it is they're going to accomplish next in our message this morning entitled, In Whom We Believe. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the spirit of God. Uh, Lord, I do pray for you to take hold of this service. Uh, God, that you will direct it. I know that my flesh is, uh, is a mess. And Lord, I will derail the service if I get involved. And I'm asking you, Father, just simply help me to, uh, to surrender to you, that, Father, your spirit would lead and guide and direct. And Lord, that I would not be a, a component of the service, that this would be from you. Speak to my heart, if no one else. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 7, verses 2 through 4. It says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let but about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to, to labor hither, thither, for they are but a few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. So what we see here is it's business as usual, right? They have been rocking and rolling. They've been going right along. And so they're confidently setting up to go to take their next obstacle, which is the city of Ai. What we find is interesting about Ai, it shows up in Scripture, not only in the book of Joshua, but we also find it in the book of Genesis. If you go into Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, and in 13, 3, it's actually a place where Abraham went and actually camped. You'll see it there spelled. It's actually spelled in the Hebrew rendering it H-A-I, but it's the same location. But this is 680 years later. So now it's a pagan outpost. And it's actually just a few miles away from Jericho. I have a picture of it. I'm going to show you. Can I give you? This is where we believe it is. So here's Jericho. And it's believed that AI is right about over here. Based upon the descriptions and what they've been able to find. Not really relevant, but just kind of something so you could sort of have a clue. But it's not too far away. Just a few miles. But what we found is that Joshua here and the people are filled with confidence. Right? They have just come off the big victory at Jericho. Remember, Jericho was a fortified city. It was massive. The walls were huge. This should have not been something they could have been able to conquer. But not only did they conquer it, but they didn't lose a man. They didn't lose a life. No Israelites died. It was an absolute and complete victory. So they have that going for us. And then also they're thinking back, well, God gave a promise of what was going to happen when we came into the promised land. He told us what would happen in Joshua 12 or Joshua 1, verses 2 through 6. 
Notice this, as they're moving forward, we wonder why they're confident. Listen to this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the down, going down to the sun, shall be your coast. Listen to verse number 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide and inherit for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And we hear that and go, okay, no one's going to be able to stand against them. No one's going to be able to stand against them. And guess what? God always keeps his promises, and he will keep this promise as well. But as I said before, God will not reward unrighteousness. He never has and he never will. And there is unrighteousness in this camp. The confidence that Joshua has, and understand, Joshua understands the fact that, listen, God's not going to reward unfaithfulness. God's not going to reward sin. He knows this truth. The problem is that Joshua doesn't realize what's going on. He has no idea that Achan has taken what he has done. He has no idea that God has transferred the trespass of Achan onto them. So what's happening is because of the promise that's reverberating through his mind, right? I remember what God said, man. No one would be able to stand against us. And did you see what just happened to Jericho? My goodness gracious. The smoke of the city is still back here rolling up into the air. Dude, we have been unbelievably success, success, successful. And he look at this and we go, wow, okay. Here's this promise running through his mind, the victory over Jericho. We can understand why he's confident. And see, this is the problem. Confidence. Is the problem. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the danger of self-reliance, the danger of self-guidance, the danger of self-confidence, and the danger of overconfidence. Let's first look at the danger of self-reliance. Verse 2, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them. So I want us to take note that all the way through the battle of Jericho, recognize the fact all the way through the battle of Jericho, leading to the battle of Jericho, Joshua was hearing from God. Remember? He was interacting with him time and time again. He was giving him a direction, telling him what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, the timing of it, everything he was laying out for him. So do we notice a difference as we've read here in Joshua chapter 7, 1 to 7, 4? We haven't heard from God. There's been no mention of him. God has been absolutely silent from Jericho to this point at Ai. And I think what's happening is the excitement of what's going on Right? They just had this unbelievable victory. I mean, you ever like win a game or play sports and you win? I mean, your adrenaline's like, ah, you feel like you could run through a wall. You're like, yeah, we can do anything. And they're, they're, they're pumped up, right? They're fired up in this moment. And what's happening is what in these moments, this is a dangerous time. Because at times like this, this is the problem. When we get full of ourselves and we get excited about what we've achieved, we have a tendency to stop relying on God and starting to rely on ourselves. Okay? It's easy to happen. You have a little bit of success and you start to think, look what I have done. And we tend to forget what's, what the reason for, this, for, for our success. Because what happens is, this. listen, it's not that they're drawn into sinful behavior. It's not that they have a rebellious heart towards God. That's not that at all. right? That's not it. They may, from their perspective, go, look, we're doing exactly what God's asked us to do. 
This is the whole thing. God said we were supposed to take the promised land. We're in the promised land. We just took Jericho. We're doing what we're supposed to do. This is the closest next city. We're doing exactly what God's told us to do. And so many times people have walked away from God in little small ways, even though they think they're accomplishing God's will. They stop doing it in God's power and they start doing it in their own. Right? And we think we're working to accomplish His will. But so easily we slip into trusting in our abilities and our talents and our past successes. And instead of depending upon God, the subtlety of pride, pride is self-love. The pride and the self-love is the undoing of God. It's the thing that divides us from him. And it comes so subtly. And what does it do? Is It drives a wedge between us and him. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention, but with, the, but with the well advised is wisdom. But only by pride cometh contention. And in between us, it only comes by people fight. Because guess what? Someone's feelings were hurt. You know what it did? It affected my pride, my self-love. You didn't say the thing you should have said to me, or you responded in the way that I didn't think was appropriate. Guess what? Now we've got contention between us. Because guess what you did? You hurt my feelings. Right? Pride, only by pride cometh contention. You see, pride blinds not only the eyes of the wicked, but the pride will blind those that are good and intended as well. We can have the right heart, man. We can be simply trying to do the right thing, and we can get our feelings hurt. And the next thing you know, we become ineffective. There's a warning in Proverbs 16, 18. And guess what? Even in the lost world, you've heard of this one. It says this, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So if we say pride goeth before destruction, so destruction is the end, the destruction is pride. Pride. It is our worst enemy. We become our own worst enemy. And when we look at Joshua's life, we wouldn't call him prideful. (laughs) We wouldn't look at him and say that. No, he's been this beautiful picture of Christ in Joshua. But what we see is the fact that, guess what? He has, I mean, he's been humble, He's been obedient. He's followed God's command all the way through this. And see, it's here that we see the subtlety and the seductive nature of pride. Joshua is unaware that he's trusting in himself. The Israelites are unaware that they're trusting in themselves. They believe they're just carrying on the mission that God gave them. And it's this issue of pride. It's a matter of us realizing the fact that, guess, we're not supposed to rely on teaches us that we should, right? Our culture says, hey, you know what? You need to be strong. You need to stand on your own two feet. You need to believe in yourself. They teach us phrases like this. If it's, up, if it's going to be, it's up to me, right? I'm the only person I can count on. We all heard this before, yeah. right? This is all the kind of things that we've been taught. And so what happens, we're raised in an environment that teaches us all about this. And this, 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 this issue of self-love, love of self, that's our problem. It's the issue, the fact that our pride draws us. It can draw even the most godly people away from the Lord. I'm telling you what, if your pride gets hurt, you would be amazed. The people that you think have got managed stalwarts for the faith, they would never be affected. Next thing you know, they don't show up to church. What's going on? Well, you offended me. What? Okay. Listen, if I offend you, please let me know. Because a lot of times I offend people I have no clue. <laughs> so just reach out and say, hey, just what? You're an idiot. And I'll be like, okay, okay, you're right. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> 1 John 2, 16 says this. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, these are our issues. These three things. Lust of the flesh. Oh, I just want something. Lust of the eyes. I saw something, man. It drew my eye. And then the, the pride of life. I want to be important. I want to be respected. These issues. And it says it's not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, we don't need more love of self. We need more love of God. Amen. Let me say that again. We do not need more love of ourselves. We need more love of God. I'm just telling you, this world is all about me, 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 me. Love of self, love of self, love of self. And it's getting worse and worse every single day. And because we love ourselves, we don't love, we don't love God. And you see, the problem from the very beginning was self-love. It was pride. It's humanity's pride. What was in the Garden of Eden? What fueled the original sin? The very same thing, pride. And humanity's struggle to this day is the exact same thing. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul addresses Timothy, and as he's warning him about what's coming, and as the world slides deeper into a hole, he's going to give him some, some insight, and he says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. This is how he opens up this discourse. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Hello. Men shall be prideful. Prideful. Then he lists a whole bunch of sins of all the things that are going to be appeared, and he wraps it up in verse number 4. He says this, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They will worship themselves. This is where we are living today. Why do people struggle in their, struggle in their relationship with God, Christians? You know what? Because they love themselves. They love themselves. And listen, what we see is this. And what's interesting about those that we love is we tend to be very lenient. Right? I've got a new granddaughter, right? She's now just a little over a year old. And I'm just telling you, already, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to be the disciplinarian in the house. I'm just telling you. I'm not. She's got me wrapped around her finger. She's like, and she does something wrong. And I'm like, well, just, you don't have to. She's fine. It's okay. She, she doesn't. I'm just telling you, that's the way it's going to be. So because I love her so much, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut her a break. Well, guess what? When you really, really love yourself, what you have a tendency to do? Cut yourself a break, man. Hey, man, don't you understand? And what happens for us is, is, is there's a, a term we use, which is called justification. Justification. Anytime someone does something they should not do, prior to doing that thing, they have justified in their mind that it's okay. They've given them some kind of out. I know this is wrong, but. But. And see, that's the issue. Because we love ourselves so much, we're willing to cut ourselves a break. And if we were to go to Joshua in this moment, if we could interview him, uh, Joshua, excuse me, I, 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 I know you're busy, but can, can I ask you a couple questions? Joshua, why, why, didn't, you, uh, why didn't you talk to God before you, you made the plan? What, before you made, why didn't you talk to God? And I bet you'd make a pretty good case to us. Hey, hey, I mean, did you see what, did you look? Did you, see, did you see Jericho? Did you see what happened there? I mean, obviously, I mean, God's all over this. Did you hear the promise that he gave us before we got here? I mean, hello? I mean, obviously, he's, he's, he's backing us 100%. We're, we're, all, we're all on course. The problem is that he does not know about Achan. See, we do. We have the ability to look into the situation and go, oh, why, why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he turn to God? Well, the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? It's easy to stand back and look at him, but what about us? See, what this does is it shines a light on the importance of spending time with God on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if every day when Joshua woke up, he went to God and he communed with him, guess what? 
that time of communing what God might have done. Say, Joshua, you're unaware of this, but there's a guy in your camp. And guess what? He took some stuff and he hid it in his tent. And his... You, you want to deal with that before you go anywhere? Because if you don't, guess what? I'm going to have my hand off you guys and you're going to get roasted. Whew, thanks, God. <laughs> Whew, glad you told me. I would have done something stupid. We'd have a big mistake on our part. So if he had simply taken the time to commune with the Lord, God could have stopped him from making a big mistake. How many times in our lives, if we had communed with God, making the choices that we have made in our lives, would we have missed out on making some big mistakes? It's so important. And it's daily dependence. See, we rely on ourselves instead of relying on God. And what this does, it heads us down, which ultimately a road that will end up in regret. It always does. But we see the danger of self-reliance. But now let's consider the danger of self-guidance. Verse 2 continues, saying, go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. Here Joshua doesn't seek the Lord for guidance. He doesn't get his battle plan from God. What does he do? He relies on himself and on his men. He's trusting in them. No one asks, what does God think we should do? Before, God was the one getting all the plans. But now no one even thinks about it. No one even asks a question. Joshua's putting his faith in his spies and his own reasoning instead of turning to God. We might say it this way. He's putting his confidence in the flesh as opposed to the Spirit of God. We look into Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 7. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, he says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Because recognize, when we trust in the flesh, we are departing from God. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. This is talking about the straw, the burned dry straw. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the, por- the, the parched places in the, in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. He says, look, you're not going to prosper. When you turn away from God and you trust in the flesh, you will not prosper. Verse number 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Whose hope the Lord is. We trusteth in the Lord. See, Joshua's not noticed here that God's not volunteering information. He's not noticed that God is silent. It doesn't even dawn on him. Can I just tell you in your Christian life, If God is silent, there's a problem. There is a problem. If you turn to God's Word and you read it, and it's just words on a page, and when you get done, you're like, you know what, I didn't get anything out of that. There is a problem. It ain't with God. It's with us. It's with us. What's wrong in our hearts? What's wrong in our lives? What do we need to deal with? What do we need to address? Because recognizing our relationship with God, it's never Him that causes the division. It's always us. God is always faithful. God's always trying to connect to us. He's always trying to work and restore us and strengthen us and draw us closer to Him. So what happens is you and I introduce the problems because of our pride. Our pride is the root of all sin. It's because of our prideful love of self that we struggle to remain faithful. Now, do you remember when you think about David... David was seeking God. Now, David had made some mistakes in his life with the the issue of of Bathsheba. And we know that he'd failed. And guess what it was all driven by? Pride. 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 Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. The pride of life. That was David's problem. So what happens here is David is in a situation where he says, look, you know what? I need to depend upon God. We get to Psalm 139 and we look at verses 23 through 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, would you check my heart to see if I have any secret sin? Would you help me and lead me in the way 
everlasting. Lead me to you. Lead me to you. See, David had learned through failure that he needed to trust God. And he didn't want to take one step forward unless he was seeking the Lord's guidance before he did it. And listen, if we do that, if we want to have a successful life, man, that's, that's how it's done. We would do this every day. We would go to Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, and we would literally search every day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So humbly cleansing ourselves before the Lord, cleansing our hearts before Him, asking God to guide us into a life that brings Him glory. Because recognize if we do it His way, we can succeed. If we do it our way, we will fail. The silence that Joshua experiences should put him on his knees before the Lord. And it will. He will fall down before the ark after they're defeated. After they're defeated. If he'd have done it in the beginning, they wouldn't have had to suffer the defeat. And good men wouldn't have had to die. Understand, these things are avoidable. God had not directed them. I recognize at this point, God, God never even directed them to Ai. He didn't even pick it as the target. They did. It won't be until Joshua chapter 8 that he actually says anything about Ai. God's waiting on the Israelites to come to him. Yeah. That's it. He's silently waiting on them to come to him. But see, just like us, when things are going good, man, oh man, it's really rather difficult for us to recognize that we need to be going to Him. We don't get that motivated to talk to God. But, lose your job. Oh, find out you've got an illness. Whoa! Hear from your wife, guess what? Your, your marriage is on the rocks. Yo! All of a sudden, guess who's ready to talk to God? Guess who's ready to hear from God? Guess who's all ears? I mean, Lord, huh, I'm here for you. And I mean, I'm sincerely listening and God, I'm seeking your guidance, Lord. Please help me in this moment. Who's ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when things are going great, man, we're like, hey, God, I'm good. I got this. I'm on autopilot. We're all, we're all set. And what you're going to find is when the Israelites, when they suffer defeat, guess what? They're going to be all ears. God, we're ready to listen now. And what happens is so many times we get so blinded by the blessing that we lose sight of the blesser. So focused on the blessing that we lose sight of the one and whom it came through. And instead of allowing God to guide our hearts and direct our lives, we become like the Israelites and we start planning our future completely without God. We don't even consult Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. God will set our direction. Listen, if you want to do this life right, if we want to do it, we allow God to lead us. We allow God to set our course, and we do not, listen, we cannot go wrong if we do it that way. It's our influence that causes problems. But in order to walk and allow God to lead, what does it take? It takes humility, it takes surrender, and it takes obedience. Those three, humility, surrender, and obedience. And just happens to be, those are the very traits that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came and lived his life and showed us what an example looked like, guess what he showed us? Philippians 2, verses 7 through 8. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made like in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
We see in verse number 7, there's the introduction. He's saying, hey, look, look, God's purpose and plan. He said, look, there, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself a form of a servant. He was here to be, to be used, to be, to, be, to be an instrument of love. Being found in fashion of man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Surrender, service, humility, sacrifice. See, he showed us what a life that gives glory to God looks like. We can look at him and see what it is we're supposed to do. Problem is, so many times we struggle with it because of us. So we've seen the, the danger of self-reliance. We've seen the danger of self-guidance. Now let's consider the danger of self-confidence. Woohoo! This is a big one. This is a big one. Verse number three. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, and let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor there thither, for they are but few. Joshua, man, we got this. We got this, dude. Did you see what happened at, at Jericho? That was amazing. And this AI, this is a joke, man. This is going to be a walk in the park. Take note of where the confidence lies. It lies in them. It lies in yeah. them, not in God. Their confidence is in themselves. So what they do is they estimate. Based upon us and our strength and what we've just done, shouldn't take but about two or 3,000 men to take down AI. That shouldn't be an issue. I want you to know that it's irrelevant how many soldiers they would send. They could send 200,000 men. It ain't going to matter. Because their victory was not because of them. It was because of God. It's not their strength. It's his strength. And this is the issue. This self-reliance is the problem. This self-confidence is the issue. Because recognize the fact that they do not mention God. This is God's plan for them to conquer the promised land. This is what God told them to do. Yet they do not mention him at all. What we see is this is all derived from human wisdom. And not only human wisdom, but also human strength is how they're going to carry it out. This is what we're going to do, and this is what, how we're going to do it. We will send two or 3,000 men. And we see in this, this aspect of the disregard for God in regards to the decision-making and the implementation is so, is so indicative of our culture today. It's what people do today all the time. Young people are going out into the world. And what are they doing? They're forging out into the future. And they're going to scrap. And they're going to fight. And they're going to dig their way to success. Only to find one year or years down the road, at the end of their career, defeated, frustrated, humiliated, despondent. Going, look, you know what? I thought it was going to be all about my career. I thought this was going to be the success, was going to be the thing that I needed. But the problem is the fact that we were created for something else. We weren't created be a success in the eyes of man. Right. We're created to walk with our creator. Amen. And what happens is God, and, and recognize the fact that in that moment of time, people that can have, can have great financial success or great worldly success can many times feel defeated and be broken at that time. And what happens is because they're drawn to the wrong things. This dissatisfaction, this frustration that they're experiencing is because they were designed by God for something else. God gave us a life. He created this life for us to walk with him. See, we were not created and we weren't put on this planet so that we would love ourselves. We were designed and created that we would love God and that we would walk in fellowship with him. That's why he created us. God wanted to walk in fellowship. We see in the walking in, the, in, in Genesis. We see walking in the cool of the day. He wants to walk in fellowship with Adam and Eve. He wants to walk in fellowship with us. The problem is that we're so wrapped up in ourselves. We can't. 
We lose sight of who He is. And only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, only through that personal relationship, through reconnecting through Christ, that you and I can experience satisfaction, contentment, and man, fulfillment. I'm telling you, you can search this world high and low and you will never find those three things. Satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment because this world cannot give them to us. Isaiah 58, verses 11 says this, And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought. Okay? Drought. There's nothing. There's absolute, there's no water whatsoever. And make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. You can be enriched. You can be fortified. You can be strengthened. Psalm 37, verses 3 through 9. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thou thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And it shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Listen to this part. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. He's talking about you see the people in the world. Don't get caught up because they look like they're doing well. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Listen, don't follow wickedness. Don't do evil. Cease from anger. Don't get mad about it. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Amen. And we're to listen to those commands back in verse 3, 4, 5, and 7. He says this, trust in the Lord, delight thyself in the Lord, commit thy way unto the Lord, rest in the Lord. He is your guide. He is your strength. Put your confidence in God, not in yourself. Yep. This is it. God has so much for us in this life. Yes. He does. He has so much for us. Fulfillment and rest and peace and joy and purpose and contentment. So why do people seek these things in the world? Why? Because the devil is an incredible salesman. Man, he's good. He's got marketing down pat. He knows how to run the right ads. He knows all the right Instagrams. He knows everything. He's got it all lined up. He can draw your attention and sell you a bill of lies. Yes. And those people that are living in their flesh, whether they be Christian or non-Christian, have bought what he is selling. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. And if we were to go and we were to check the Yelp reviews on uh, how well the world has done on providing contentment and fulfillment and all those things, you'd find zero stars. There'd be no thumbs up. It'd be a big, fat, whopping loser town, or I don't know what I would say there. It wouldn't be good. But what we find is the fact that, you know what? Though there are testimonies all around us, all around us, of people that have sought that very thing, I went to the world to find contentment and peace and joy and love. I went to the world. And man, I spent my whole life trying to do it. And guess what? I'm miserable. I'm heartbroken. And we have all these pictures of disaster all around us. Yet because of our self-confidence, we believe. Though they didn't do it. They didn't make it. You know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Boy, there's a chance that I'll find what they could not find. Man, could I just save you some heartache and some time? You won't. It ain't going to happen. You will not find it in the world. There is no way in the world. No one 
ever find success or contentment in the world. It just does not happen. And what we see here is the fact that, gosh, true contentment, man, it is never found in worldly endeavors. Mark 8, 36-38 says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man gain, give in, in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous, unfaithful, and sinful generation where we live today, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Man, sure, can they have fun in the world? Can we find fun in the world? Oh, absolutely. Can there be good? absolutely. Can we make all kinds of wonderful memories and have some cool pictures? Oh, absolutely. Can we do good things in the eyes of man? Oh, absolutely. Can we get the accolades of man? Oh, absolutely. But in the end, to miss the very purpose that you created to fulfill, we miss our existence that God created us for, which is a love relationship with God, a love relationship with the Father. And see, if, we, if, we, that's, if that's our heart's desire is to seek those things in the world, guess what? We will miss out on what God created us for. And it will be forever lost. Recognize the fact that God's calling us. That's a tragic thing. But it's avoidable. Just like AI was avoidable. If they had changed their modus operandi, their, their strategy. John 3.16 and 17. Recognize the fact that God loves humanity. He wants He wants us to understand. He wants us to realize the fact that there are broken people all around this world who are hopeless, but they don't need to be hopeless because God has put a a method in place to redeem even the most broken among us. No matter what our past is, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter what mistakes we've made, it doesn't matter. God looks at us and He says, hey, I got a way. I got a way. I got a way for even you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the vehicle for salvation. Here's the purpose in verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And guys, it's His miraculous supernatural love, man. That's it that we miss out on when our hearts are set on the world. We miss out on that. The the heart of God that He's trying to commune with us. He's trying to connect with us. He's trying to use our lives and give us what it is He created us for. And what happens is we find ourselves because our hearts get caught up in the world. And my question for us today, who has your heart? Is it God? Or are we so consumed with this world that it's captured our hearts? Materialism, man, it's all over the place. Listen, you may have success in the eyes of man and stand before the Lord absolutely dejected because you lost what he created you to do. And there are people today that are putting all of their energy and effort into creating what they think is success, yet denying the things that God created them for. Look, I'd be in church, but you know what? I gotta, if I'm going to get this promotion, I've got I to gotta be there at work. That's the way people think. Well, I know I should be doing this. I know there's an opportunity for me to talk to my friend. I know he's in need, and you know, it was possibly an opportunity for me to reach him with Christ. But you know what? I've got a lot of stuff going on in my family. I've got things going on in my life. All about our, our, our agendas are wrong. Our hearts are in the wrong places. And God's calling us to be more. See, Joshua, he was trying to do the right thing. And inadvertently, was doing the exact opposite. See, the Lord taught us how to look into our hearts and see where we are. He gave us a method so that we can look into our lives and see. 
He says in Matthew 7, verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Look at what their life displays, and you can see their heart. Look at what their life displays, and you can see their heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does our heart display? What does our heart display? What does the world see? Do they see us seeking to please God? Or does our heart display that we look like people that are trying and seeking to please ourselves? Are we seeking self-fulfillment? Are we seeking to fulfill God's plan and purpose? Man, these are hard questions. I mean, I know they're hard for us to think about, but they're important questions. Every day we should ask ourselves, because guess what? Every day, every day, we've got to deal with our pride. And number four, the danger of overconfidence. So they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. So Joshua followed the advice of the men. And what's interesting, you notice here, they send 3,000 soldiers. He erred on the side of caution. He said, send two or 3,000. Joshua said, well, let's just be safe. Let's send 3,000 men to make sure this is, this is taken care of. And we see here that they're defeated. They're run off by, by the folks of Ai. And this defeat, yes, it was humiliating, but it was more than that. See, it cost Israelite lives. There were 36 men that were killed because of this. And those deaths were completely avoidable. This defeat was completely avoidable. If all they had simply done was follow God's wisdom instead of their own wisdom. See, God, the Bible defines human wisdom. In James chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Our wisdom, human wisdom, will never get us where it is God wants us to be. As long as we depend upon human wisdom, listen, instead of God's, what will happen to us is we'll find ourselves suffering defeat after defeat. It's because it's our dependence upon ourselves through our self-reliance, through our self-guidance, through our self-confidence. And what does it do? What does it do? It sets the stage for us to live lives that are riddled with defeat. We depend upon us instead of depending upon God. His heart's desire is that we would lean on him. Cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. That's God's heart. But you see, if, if we would shift ourselves from having faith in us to having faith in God, we could live lives of victory. Instead of defeat, we could live lives of victory. I'm going to see the victory. Remember the song? Victory, victory, victory. What we're doing is we're seeing victory in, in, in comparison to the defeat. There's a defeat that did not have to happen if they would have done it God's way, but they did it through their own human reasoning, and what happens is it ends up a defeat. So we have an opportunity for a victory. And what happens if you and I, listen, if we learn how to do this, listen to Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. I'm almost done. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our dependence is upon Him, not upon self. We're confident in Him, not in us, because when we start becoming dependent upon ourselves, we will find ourselves in trouble. Man, how would our lives be? How would our lives be if we stopped relying on ourselves 
and we really started relying on God? How would our lives be if we stopped guiding our lives and we allowed God to guide us? How would our lives be if we stopped being so confident in us and we started having that confidence in Him? He's worthy of that confidence. We're not. We're not. See, the way we live our lives day in and day out, you know what they do? They speak. They speak to our friends, to our family, to the world around us. And you know what they tell us? Tell us in whom we believe. Where's our faith? Where's our confidence? Listen, if we direct ourselves, we're headed to defeat. Oh, man. But if we allow the Lord to guide, we're headed to victory. We got to choose who's in charge. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. And Lord, I know today may have been a, a difficult message for some of us to hear. And Lord, I know you stepped on my toes as I wrote it. Uh, God, and I do pray, uh, Lord, that you'll let it uh, not just, not just uh, impact our ears and perhaps our minds. But Lord, I'd ask that you would impact our hearts. Lord, that we would really understand the dangers of self-reliance, self-guidance, self-confidence the danger of overconfidence. You have a purpose and a plan for these lives, and Lord, I pray that you help us to surrender to that purpose. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, you know what? Pastor, I'm, I am struggling a little bit. I'm struggling a little bit. Some days I wake up and I feel like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm relying on God. But there are days when I've got to be honest. I find myself relying on me. And listen, I understand we're all in the same boat. We struggle against the flesh. I'm going to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't even know if I'm saved. Listen, to believe in God does not mean you're saved. To go to church does not mean you're saved. But listen, praying a prayer does not mean you're saved. It is a surrender of the heart. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But before that, it says, for the heart, it says, for the man believeth unto righteousness, for with the, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. We are cleansed through what God does in our heart. And if your heart's broken today, if you're online, you're watching this recorded, whatever, and you're saying, you know what? I know right now that if I took my last breath, if I died right now, I do not know where I'm going to go. I hope I go to heaven, but I don't know. Can I just tell you this? God has promised you salvation and eternity in heaven if you will receive it. He will never force it upon you. He'll offer it to you. The Bible says it's a gift. A gift. A gift costs the one that gives it, but it's free to the one that receives it. If you've never received that gift of God, you're not born saved. You're not saved because your family goes to church. You're not saved because you're raised in church. You're saved because you made a conscious choice to receive the gift of God. You humbled yourself before the Lord. You recognize that you were the problem and he's the solution. And then when he died on that cross, he died for your sins, buried in a, in a borrowed term, tomb, and three days later when he arose, there was the victory over sin is through the grave. And as he reaches out to you today, all you have to do is receive it. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're watching online, watching recorded, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It won't be the words. Remember, it's not, there's no magic prayer. It's not going to do it. There's not a ceremony that's involved. This is just a matter of surrender. So as God calls you, and you know he's calling you if he is, if he's calling you, all you have to do is respond. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray in your heart and mind. Repeat after me. But remember who you're talking to. It's not to me. It's not to us. It's to God. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for the way that I failed you. I understand that I'm accountable to you. And Lord, I come today humbly before the cross. I come come to you today with a broken heart, ready and willing to receive your gift. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.